Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 19. We're going to finish uh, this series uh, called Living Generously. And I want to speak a message called Stewarding Resources. Um, Each one of us have been given gifts by God. Each one of us have something from God to give. Why don't you look at your neighbor and tell him, say, you have something from God to give. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't see everybody talking. Some of y'all are like, you don't know who I'm sitting next to. No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you by the end of this, you'll know. You'll know everybody has something from God to give. And when you understand that God has given us something, then you, you, don't, you don't only think about generosity. You think about stewardship. You think about caring for something that belonged to another. If you don't know what a steward is, a steward really is a personable person responsible for overseeing and the protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. How appropriate that Memorial Day weekend is the weekend I'm coming bringing you a message about stewardship when we remember those who believe that the principles that this nation was founded on of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, by the way, not the guarantee of happiness. It guarantees a pursuit of happiness. That, the, the, that this nation was worth preserving and those, they believed it so much, listen to me, they laid down their lives for it. And while the veterans in this room, we celebrate you on Veterans Day, this weekend is about those who said, what we possess in America is so worth preserving, we are willing to lay down our lives for it. And I just feel really compelled on this Memorial Day weekend to once again spur you on to believe, listen to me, America is worth saving. The ideals upon which this republic were founded, listen to me, they are worth saving. They are worth saving. The purpose of this nation was not to construct a a financial powerhouse. That was not the purpose of this nation. The purpose of this nation, when those initial founders came to this shore, it says, We, Lord, have found a place where we could worship you. And, Lord, we believe that from this place, your gospel will go around the world. The purpose of this nation was the furtherance of the gospel. To to ignore that is to turn a blind eye to real history. And I want us to pray on this Memorial Day weekend, because there may be some families under the sound of my voice whose father or mother or grandmother or grandfather paid the ultimate price and laid down their life protecting the liberties that we have. Listen, that are not granted by the government. They're granted by God and recognized by the government. This ain't even in the message. Man, y'all are messing me up in a good way. Can we pray for America on Memorial Day and pray for the families who have suffered the, uh, the, the, the great loss 
of a family member who served in military and gave their lives for this country. Father, in Jesus' name, pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray for America. Lord, we confess, Lord, we're broken, we're divided, we're torn apart in many ways. But Lord, oh, we believe, Lord, that when this place was put in the hearts of men, that it was, it was to be a place of liberty and of freedom, Lord God, recognizing that all men are created in God's image equal, Lord, and that each one of us could pledge to one another our honor and sacred, sacred wealth, Lord God, for the furtherance of the gospel. And Father, this weekend, Lord, we remember the families, Lord, of those who laid down their lives for this nation. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who suffered that kind of loss. I pray, Lord, that you would, on this day, would help them to remember the reasons why. Father, would you give them peace? Lord, would you be near them? Lord, I pray that gratitude would well up in the hearts of the citizens of this nation for those families who gave the seed of sons and daughters to see, Lord, the greatest nation that has ever existed, God, Lord, protected and its people, Lord, kept. I pray, Lord, for revival in America. I pray that you would move once more. I pray, God, that in every state, Lord, every island, God, Lord, every territory, that you would move by your spirit and that many would turn to you as was the hearts of our founders. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you would do this. Thank you for those servicemen and women who gave their lives for this nation. Bless their families this weekend, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at Luke chapter 19. We're going to look as we continue this service uh, on uh, this series, and we're going to finish it up today on living generously. I'm going to read to you a parable, um, and it's called the parable of the minus. And uh, there are going to be some principles from this parable that, that we need to glean and that we need to uh, make a part of our everyday lives. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, it says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He had to fix their thinking, okay? He had to correct their thinking. They think, okay, he's about to become king right away and now I'm going to show them this is going to be a little different than what you thought. So you're going to, your responsibility is going to be different than you think. He says in verse 12, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. He said, put this money to work. He said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, uh, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained from it. 
The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master came and says, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, uh, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money on deposit so when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, I want to bring your attention to this. Uh, some of you are like, wow, that is a fierce parable. It is. But let me explain it to you. There's two groups of people in this parable. There are subjects and there are servants. There are subjects and there are servants. Subjects are the one who resists the rule of the king. And let me just begin by making a plain statement of application to our everyday lives as human beings. There are many subjects in the world who reject Jesus being king over their life. They're like, no, Jesus, no, thank you. I don't want you to rule and reign. I don't want you to be king. Listen. There is a heaven to be gained through a relationship with Jesus, but make no mistake, there is a hell to be shunned, an eternity apart from God in a place of torment called hell. We don't have enough people talking about it, enough people preaching about it, saying, listen, there is an eternal consequence from, from either rejecting or receiving the grace of our God through Christ. If you reject the only way to heaven, there is a broad way that leads to hell. But God in his grace and mercy said, I have made a way where there was no way to give you what you never deserved. We need an awakening. And to understand, there are many who said, no, Jesus, I don't want your rule in my life. Those people are called subjects, and they experience death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God. But then there are servants. They're in the kingdom. And there are some that are faithful and some that are wicked. But they're in because of grace. If I were to sum up this message today, it would be this. Don't be a wicked servant. Be one who stewards what God has given to you. Now, let me give you a couple of points from this, from, uh, from this uh, parable. First is this. We all have resources from God. We all have resources from God. Luke 19, 13 says, So he, this is Jesus, 
called 10 of his servants and what? Gave them 10 minas. This is, this is not the same as many think. This is not the same as the parable of the talents. Um, mina, in a contrast to a talent, a mina is a smaller amount of money. Probably in today's um, modern value, it might have been $500. It's a small amount of money. A talent is like a year's wage. That's much different. Much different. Now here, every servant is given the same. Now we're not given the accounting of every servant, only three of them, but all ten are given the same mina in this. We all have resources that come from God. In this parable, the master gave them something that belonged to him. And God has given us, listen to me, everything we have. Not part of it, all of it. Psalm 24 says it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. Let me bring that in a little, little closer to you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in your bank account and everything in your retirement account and every car and every house is his. Ooh, I feel the nervousness rising. And you should be. Because when you realize that you're just stewarding it, on, on his behalf, you handle it differently. And I know what happens, especially in men. Especially in the men of the... You, you hear me say, it's all his. I hear what you're saying. Your heart's speaking loud. I can hear it right through your eyes. You're saying, I worked for this money. I'm the one who earned this. Do you know there's a Bible verse for you? Some of you are like, uh-oh. Deuteronomy 8.17 says you may say to yourself, because you wouldn't ever say it out loud. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What God says is that the only reason that you can work is because I gave you the breath in your lungs. It's all his. All the intellect, all of the ability to reason, all of your ability to, to have the kind of training that you have, it's all his. It's all because of him. And let me help you in understanding what the proper perspective is. We need to focus on the source rather than the resource. We have to focus on the source. And when you focus on the source, then suddenly you begin to step into a lifestyle of generosity that would have never been possible had you been focusing on the resource. Do you know what it's called when you focus on the resources in your life? It's called idolatry. 
It's idolatry. And we make money or finances or whatever we possess, we make it a God. And here's what you need to know. Money can never deliver on what God can only do in a life. Money cannot do it. Some of you are like, well, I'd like to give it a try. No. I promise you there's only one way to live. And that's focusing on the source. We focus on God, not on the resource. And if we're going to live generously and we're going to be good stewards, it will be as a result of saying, okay, God, I'm focused on you. Next, what we can learn from this parable is that we all have the same responsibility. We all have the same responsibility. Notice what, what in this what the king comes back, what the instruction was in verse 13. He says, put this money to work. He said, until I come back. Do you see that? He says, put your resources to work until I come back. Now, I know that is probably, for most of you, not a verse that's underlined, not a verse that's highlighted, not a verse that causes you to dance around the kitchen when you read it in your, your morning devotion. Why? Because it's connected to responsibility. But oh man, I get over into Luke 6.38 and I'm like, oh, and give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together and running over shall men pour into your bosom. You're just right in front of the, right in front of the fridge. You're like, oh, praise God. You're like, hallelujah. And then you got to read the verse that goes with it. And he says, whatever I have put into your hand, you, you be the one that stewards it until I return. And then your dance becomes, huh. Well. Okay. You see, simply put, we must put our focus on stewarding what God has given us until he returns. That's the way we need to live. Now, uh, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we put... Our wealth, our resources, and by the way, part of your wealth is your time and your talent, but I, I'm, I'm making this very practical because we have to tackle this issue because of the final point. But before we get there, we got to tackle this issue about, okay, how do we do this? Now, I'm going to give you three points. Two of them are covered in financial peace. If you've never done financial peace, there's a free preview going on right now. The, in the third service, there's a preview that there was such an overwhelming response from Calvary, it's full. I'm telling you, it's full. Lives are going to be changed forever. But what I'm going to tell you is that if you decide, I need to go to Financial Peace University, we will, make, we will move heaven and earth to do an online experience with you, to do whatever we can. Right now, it looks like the class is going to be overflowing throughout the summer. But if you will, these last two points are taught there. But this first one we're going to talk about today. Here's, here's three ways you can put your wealth to work, your resources to work. First, give cheerfully to God's kingdom. We're going to talk about that. Give cheerfully to God's kingdom. Second, spend reasonably. Oh, man, some people. Spend reasonably on your needs and desires. I know, some of you are thinking, but you don't understand, Pastor Otis. 
I got $20,000 off that $120,000 boat. It was a good deal. And you go out on it three times a year. And it sits there. You'd have been better off renting a boat. Truthfully, the, the ones I probably need to be talking to are probably out on that boat right now, okay? So, <laughs> Lord bless them. Anyways, so you spend reasonably on your needs and desires, but then last, this last one, these two are covered in financial peace. You save strategically so you have something to give in the future. And this is a part that's really been missing in the body of Christ. We, don't, we haven't embraced this ideal in the way that we should. And as a result, many people in the body of Christ have suffered and haven't passed along uh, wealth in the way that they should because we did not have a strategic way of saving. Did you know that if it had not been for Joseph strategically saving, there would be no Israel today? So don't, say, don't think to yourself that saving is an antichrist idea. It is not. It's a biblical idea. But these two things are covered in financial peace. I want to talk to you about the part that, that, that we can cover today, and that is giving cheerfully to the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he's decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, we don't mind a groaning giver. But if you give, you're like, ah, no, that's reluctantly. Maybe it's under compulsion. When God says, I love a cheerful giver, you know what that means? That I am no longer focused on the resource. I'm focused on the source. So I can, I can release what's in my hand because I know God will release what's in his to me. I know he will. Now, you say, okay, well, how, how do I, I, I do this? Well, you cheerfully return the tithe. That's one way. And you say, well, what is that? And I just, wanna, I just want you to understand the tithe is from Leviticus 27.30. We're going to say it again. A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or the fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. Listen to me. It's holy to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The whole tithe, the first 10%, listen, those go together. The first 10% belongs to the Lord. You cannot give a tithe. You have to what? Return a tithe. Why? Because it's his. So, it's holy to the Lord. That means it's holy when it's in his hands. But when it's in our hands, it's cursed. 
I'll show you this from the scripture. Uh, pop Bible quiz for those of you who've been around the church for a little while. When Joshua was taking the children of Israel into the promised land, what was the first city that they were to take? What was the name of it? The first city? Jericho. Jericho. That's right. Ding, ding, ding. You get, you'll get a prize later. I don't know what. God will have to reward you. Um, <laughs> um, the first city was Jericho. The very first city was Jericho. And if you can imagine this, it's a walled city. The walls were so thick it was said that, that horses could pull chariots on the wall. It was, it was a, I mean, a wealthy city. And here come the Israelites crossing over. You know their instructions? Don't say a word. You know why God said don't say a word? Because they would have fouled up the whole thing had they been talking that week when they were walking around the city. They'd have messed everything up with their words. They walk around. God supernaturally gives victory. But before he gives victory, he gives instruction. They must have been excited. Man, we are going to be loaded. That city is wealthy. We're going to be like, whoa. Then God says, not so fast. The first city, it's mine. Everything in the first city is mine. Joshua 6, 19 says, but this is what the Lord said, but all, all the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. He said, all of it. All of it is mine. Why did God say that all of Jericho was his? Here's why. Because everything that is first is to be dedicated to the Lord. That's why we say it's the first 10%. And notice the descriptive words of the silver, gold, bronze, and iron. It says this. It's consecrated. Do you see that? When it's given to the Lord, it's what? Consecrated. Another way of saying it is devoted. But, much like many of us, Achan got up in there in the city, started looking around at all that treasure, and said, man, I'm going to keep a little bit of this for myself. I'm going to take the consecrated part, take it to my house. And I'm going I'm to hide it. I'm going to look like a tither. I'm going to amen it when pastor says, we need to return the tithe. Amen. I tithe my 2%. Y'all need to go back to elementary math. Because 2 is not equal to 10 Achan has the look of, oh yeah, this is all consecrated to the Lord. But here's what God says. Notice, when Achan pulled it aside and kept some for himself, he says, this is what God said, Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for, for they have even taken some of the, what is this word? Accursed things. And have stolen and deceived, they have also put it among their own stuff. 
Listen to me. When you take what is consecrated and you put it among your own things, it becomes accursed. It's the same substance. The difference is, is is it put in God's hands or did you keep it in your own? Did you keep it for yourself? Is that... That is why we cheerfully return the tithe. This is holy and it belongs to you. Did you know the next, the, the next place is it? Yep. All of it's yours. The next city, it's all yours. The promised land, it's all yours. When you give God the first, he then says, all right, I'll bless the rest. So you do this, holy and unto the Lord. Now, Why do you do it this way? You do it, not only do you cheerfully return the tithe, but you cheerfully then, out of that experience, give to expand the king's rule. Remember the parable of the minas? They're saying, what I am doing, king, is for you. And so when you cheerfully give, by the way, you cannot give a tithe because it doesn't belong to you. You return that. Giving happens out of the 90% that is blessed. So how you steward those resources is you give out of the 90%. You say, what does that look like? Well, here at Calvary, it looks like missions. So you're regularly giving to missionaries. All of those missionaries you see on the wall as you're walking in uh, outside in the lobby, we are giving those resources uh, away. We're giving to benevolence to feed families every single week who come in. they're, They're in a tough spot, and, man, they need help. And so we give to benevolence. Perhaps even maybe one day when, when God says, okay, it's time, it's time to build, it's time to take the next step, we may have to give sacrificially. Did you know that there is even sacrificial giving in the scriptures? And then when, when people sacrificially give, the blessing is so incredible when they're giving to God's influence and saying, we want to expand the king's rule and reign in a, in a dynamic way. And then... Oh, let me just bring it down to earth because some of you are not visionaries. Okay. Uh, uh, You can expand the king's influence today, if you like, by the way you tip. Listen, we'll give you some real good instruction here. If you are going out to eat and you do not plan to tip at least 20%, don't go out to eat. Right now, the waiters and waitresses are going into work today and they have been made to work on Sunday. Can I just give you the report? I'm going to give you the report. They don't want to work today. Because mostly they know the church folk are coming. And you know what they find? Church folk complain more and give less than anybody else. If you would like to expand the king's influence, you need to, to tip the way God gives 
Maybe you don't understand. God's generosity is connected to a word called grace. How many of you know you don't go to heaven based upon your performance? Maybe you shouldn't tip that way either. I know some of you are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I reward them for doing such a terrible job? Ask God. Why would he reward you with heaven after doing such a terrible job? You want to expand the king's influence? I dare you. I dare you to dream a little bit with God. And say, what kind of tip would change this waitress's life? Has nothing to do with your bill. I remember a day I was going into the most anointed place in Inverness, Alpac. (laughs) Telling you, the way they anoint those steaks with olive oil and sea salt, it's glorious. 18 different seasonings or something like that. It just takes me right into the third heaven. I'll never forget, I was meeting somebody there for a lunch. And I'm walking in the door. And God said, you know that $100 bill that's in your wallet that you had? You, you ha- I had a plan for it. He said, today, before she takes your order, give it to her. So it has nothing to do with performance. I didn't know that the girl that was going to walk up to my table was one of my daughter's best friends in high school. I didn't know. I didn't know the broken situation she was in, but God did. And before the meal, I said, God sent me here today. Not just to meet with my friend. But he sent me here to tell you that he loves you. And that he sees you right where you are. And let me tell you, she began to weep. She began to get touched by God. And I want to tell you, today, she serves in her church. She's married. And she's living for God in a way that she has never lived for God. Listen, I'm not telling you that that moment had everything to do with it. I just believe it had something to do with it. It had something to do with saying, God, I wonder if you don't want to just expand your influence in a way that is greater than my plans for this resource. Church, we got to live that way. We have to live that way. You see, when you're generous, you're gracious. And then when you're gracious, that's reflecting the Lord's nature. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave. And when we give graciously, we declare God's love with our love. It'll help you to understand this principle, which I heard from Robert Morris. We get to give. We don't give to get. We get to be a part of these moments where the king's influence is is expanded 
by the way that we graciously release resources. You say, why would you live this way? Because of how the parable of the minas ends. It's so strange. Do you remember what he said to the one who returned 10? The reason that we want to live this way is because we all have an opportunity for reward. But it's not the one you're thinking. He says, he says, Master, your mina has earned ten more. He says, well done, my good servant, because you've been trustworthy in a very small manner. Take charge of ten cities. Listen, here's the point. When you steward what God has given you to steward well, your reward is people. Luke 16 says it this way. He says, if you can't be trusted with unrighteous mammon, unrighteous wealth, how then is it that you could be trusted with true riches? Do you understand what true riches are to God? True riches are to God are the souls of men and women. True riches are an incredible harvest of people. And God says, if I could find a people who would look to the source rather than the resource, I then could trust them with an awakening. I could trust them with people who are broken. I could trust them with people who are in need of grace. I could trust them with the gospel and they would turn the one into 10 and you would go oh but I was only I was only taking care of what you gave to me but God says you know what I was really wanting to give I was wanting to find a people who I could give people to who would love and reach and preach and expand the reign of the king